welcome to another Podium Podcast here at the Investors Coliseum. Today, we're going to be kicking off an ongoing discussion with various leaders within the psychedelic space. It's going to be all things psychedelics today, and help me to kick this all off. We're going to have James Lanthier, CEO of Mindset Pharma, and Josh Gerstein, CEO of Silla Pharma, Inc. Gentlemen, good day to you both. Great to have you here and uh, really looking forward to hearing more from you about the psychedelic space and uh, all the excitement around it. And uh, perhaps, James, we could start with you maybe first and ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Mindset Pharma. Yeah, sure. So so I'm James Lantier. I'm the CEO of, uh, of Mindset. Mindset's a biotechnology company. Uh, that's focused on developing solutions for uh, for the medical psychedelic market, which is um, which is something that really uh, exists in a, in a pretty limited way today, but is uh, is is coming into view uh, really really quickly. I think that we're really at a at kind of an inflection point in uh, or I guess a, a turning point in. In medicine, it's going to be one of these sort of seminal moments where, um, you know, in a few years, you're going to see, I believe, the use of of psychedelic drugs to to treat, you know, what what we broadly call uh, neuropsychiatric indications. So that's really just a kind of a catch-all term for a who's who of of the worst uh, mental health, you know, afflictions that sadly we're all too, you know, familiar with. So depression, post-traumatic stress, um, anxiety, addiction, you know, right now the, the, the level of evidence that these drugs um, do uh, as, as good or a better job than, than uh, you know, the standard treatments is, is really, really, you know, pretty incontrovertible. So mindset has a really specific mission and, and role. And it, what, what we're trying to do is, is, uh, is is pretty simple. We're trying to create new psychedelic drugs um, that that do in a you know to put it simply an, an even better job than the um, than the existing you know drugs do at at treating these different uh, indications. Um, so I can I can get into that in a little bit more detail later on. But that's basically what we're doing. We're a biotechnology company trying to design. Uh, what we call next generation psychedelic drugs to treat these different illnesses. Well, thanks, James. Really appreciate that. That was uh, that was a wonderful introduction into uh, who you are and who Mindset Pharma is. Looking forward to hearing a little bit more from you uh, very shortly. And Josh Gerstein, CEO of Silo Pharma Inc. Josh, hello to you, and thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Um, same thing for you. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about uh, Silo Pharma Inc. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and James uh, hit on some really important points uh, and said them very succinctly. Sometimes it's hard for me to get them out that well. So thank you. Uh, I totally agree with everything you said. Um, and my background is um, a, a sort of a combination of investment banking, merchant banking and advisory. Uh, but I have also worked in industry as an executive um, you know, I don't want to talk about cannabis very much um, because, uh, you know, my company is a pure play uh, psychedelics company. I think that's the same for James. 
Um, but I did work as an executive in a Canadian LP um, that I had invested in and was advising. And I had met a team out of Europe um, while I was working at the Canadian licensed producer that I ended up partnering with recently to launch a company focused in the EU and initially focused entirely on uh, psilocybin. Um, and uh, what, what we are uh, doing in the EU and my role in Canada is more the corporate side and then the sort of ops team is in Europe. And the focus for us is on psilocybin because we have the physical infrastructure of a state-of-the-art brand new um, GMP certified narcotics licensed facility as our founding partner, um, you know, we are gonna focus on a sort of pure uh, process for, or a pure product, which is a psilocybin product to launch into the soon to be um, opening up market for the treatment uh, of the forms of, I guess, um, uh, treatable mental illnesses that James touched upon. Um, so that's kind of the road we're going down. Um, we, we may end up with opportunities to uh, investigate and research, potentially develop different forms of psilocybin uh, treatment uh, protocols and potentially products, but uh, we're sort of taking it one step at a time. Uh, the company is called Silo Pharma Inc. Uh, and that's my, I guess, my intro for, for you. Well, thanks to you both. And I'm really glad that uh, you guys could be here today. And I think, um, you know, maybe not getting too far ahead of ourselves, uh, you know, perhaps we could start back a little bit before obviously where we are with things today. And um, I, I don't know, maybe Josh, you wanna lead out and best to your knowledge, when when did this really start to um, take shape or take hold as being a real viable way of uh, perhaps tackling mental illness uh, along with that, the opioid crisis and a myriad of other things. When, when did this really start to take place as being a real viable um, way of handling things? Yeah, I mean, I, I can give you, um, I, I, I don't know if I'll get the exact year, but uh, if you bear with me on that, I mean, th this, the history goes back sort of thousands of years, but um, in terms of, um, you know, sort of um, more modern societal examples, uh, we're talking about uh, the 50s, 60s, um, and there were, there's a lot of history in the United States, actually, and a very famous, for example, uh, you know, if you've heard of the name Timothy Leary from Harvard, very controversial uh, uh, sort of professor, researcher. Um, and uh, what happened was there, there were research projects, studies 50, in the 50s, 60s that were starting to generate very interesting and intriguing um, findings. Um, you know, what happened was, though, and, and this is not surprising, uh, if I stop now, a lot of people that understand American, Canadian and Western society, you could probably guess, oh, something happened or a couple of bad situations, some people stepped in and, you know, said, we got to outlaw this, this is dangerous, this is from the devil. So what happened, I guess, 
leading into the sort of late mid late 60s 70s was this push back against what was very promising uh, for the treatment of you know PTSD and depression anxiety addiction obsessive compulsive behavior um, got sort of stigmatized and sort of thrown into the illegal narcotic category and then there was essentially nothing from when I grew up maybe James as well you know any mention of oh did you hear so and so tried LSD it's like oh my god that's terrible right magic mushrooms oh god that's scary my my parents you know told me um so if you if you sort of take 70s 80s 90s it was almost a, a complete sort of missed 30 years and now into the 2000s kind of resurrected and now sort of more more scientifically and in a much more mature fashion being revisited researched studied etc and now it's almost there like james said this sort of inflection sort of turning point which i'm excited to be a part of yeah exactly it just seems like um you know we're just finally getting over the stigma now we're peeling back the stigma and uh, really focusing more in on the science and, you know, what it can do for us and, and hopefully as a society for that matter. Uh, James, I think you, you were jumping in there with uh, maybe something to add. Oh, I, I mean, I, I think uh, Josh did a great job of, of, uh, of explaining some of the history. You know, it, it really is fascinating um, the, the, the psychedelics, you know, obviously have, first of all, they have a really ancient history. So they're used in, they've been used in, you know, in ancient cultures, you know, for thousands of thousands and thousands of years. Um, but then, uh, you know, in, in kind of the, the middle of, of the 20th century, when they started being, uh, chemically synthesized, um, really, you know, the, the first use of, of, of these drugs uh, was, was, in, was in therapy. Like, um, you know, psilocybin was, was synthesized and, and, and marketed as indocybin by Sandoz, the pharmaceutical company. And it was, it was, it was used in psychotherapy. MDMA, uh, you know, a little bit later was, um, was used in an unregulated way, but on a really large scale in couples therapy across the United States. Um, so, so it really is kind of, it's, it's not a, the idea of using these drugs to treat uh, neuropsychiatric indications. It's not a new thing. It's, it's really very much a, a back to the, a back to the future. It's, it's, so it's, it's not really not a repurposing and, and like Josh said, you know, it really was about kind of the, the shifting tides of, of culture and, and the, the, the political backlash against the counterculture of the 1960s that, that caused the drugs to be scheduled. Now, I think something that, that's also really important to understand is, you know, we're just at the beginning of, of the commercial psychedelic space. But um, but we're re we're really not at the beginning of of the scientific understanding and appreciation of these drugs. So so really, I think you know Josh and I are here in large part because of the the really you know hard work that that a number of not for profit groups did uh, you know starting in in the eighties and then over the last few decades. And that's really culminated in what you're seeing now. These, you know, these were not-for-profit groups that were basically funded by wealthy people, organizations like MAPS and USONA, Beckley in the UK, 
Um, and, and they did the work at really top research institutions, you know, Johns Hopkins, NYU, Imperial College in the UK. They, they did the work, the hard, really hard work to convince regulators that the drugs, um, you know, un unlike what our, our parents might have warned us about or told us that, you know, they're not addictive. That's it's, you know, they're a completely different kettle of fish than, say, uh, you know, cocaine or, or, or opiates, which, which, you know, today they're in the same class. Uh, they're, they're classed, you know, in the, in the same group in, in the U.S. Um, and that they potentially had this, you know, this, this role to play in, uh, in, in therapy. So, so it's really, you know, for, for, for kind of the general public who's just, who, who are just now kind of turning to tuning in to psychedelics and the, the potential in them uh, and, and what they can do for people. Um, it's, it's, it's important to know that it's, it's really not a, it's really not new. This is what the drugs were, you know, were doing back in the middle part of the century and B, you know, the, the scientific work has, has really, you know, already been done. It's, 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 it's really quite clear that the drugs work just in the last, uh, you know, four weeks, there've been some, some really pivotal studies published um, you know, one in the New England Journal of Medicine about psilocybin and one uh, in, in Nature uh, about MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress. Um, and these were both, you know, double-blind studies, you know, run by, you know, top research groups. And that they both came out in favor of, of those the conclusions of the studies were really favorable, you know, for, for MDMA versus versus, uh, you know, antidepressants and, uh, or excuse me, psilocybin versus antidepressants and MDMA versus, you know, a placebo. So the, the, the weight of the evidence is really, it's totally there. Well, thanks for that, James. And maybe I can ask you, Josh, very quickly, psychedelics being used for the treatment of various addictions, one of the addictions being opioids, which of course has been a crisis for quite some time. In your opinion, has this been proven effective to this point and what can be done to actually improve on, on this and being a viable solution to the opioid crisis? I mean, it, it, it can be, uh, you know, it, I, think, I think James and I, we could dream of, um, you know, sort of the sky's the limit. Um, you know, I mean, you could probably, we, we could probably put arguments forward for really, you know, the sky's the limit with how beneficial um, psychedelic-based treatments can be for the world's population at large. But, you know, it's going to be sort of one step at a time. Like, for example, you mentioned palliative, right? I mean, um, you know, for example, if you're going to conduct a research study, the, the least amount of roadblocks you're going to hit is to have people in your study that have just been diagnosed with a terminal illness, right? So, you know, there's, it's going to be sort of one step at a time, you know, are, are we going to, are we going to get our first sort of research study on 15 year olds that are suicidal? I mean, I mean, that, that may not be the first or second or third in line, um, you know, but we're one step at a time. The other thing I was going to say is, um, the first to sort of legalize as a country, let's say, um, call, call it psilocybin. You know, I talked to, to you, Chris, about this very briefly the other day. It's going to be supervised, supervised treatment. 
um, through um, a prescription from a medical doctor to the patient. You're not, you're not going to see microdosing, you know, anytime soon, in my opinion, and it definitely will not front run supervised settings because um, you can't completely just do away with the stigma and everyone that fought against it over the last several years. Um, and the big argument they had was recreational use or at-home use, right? How do you know they're not going to overdose and walk into a, a lake and drown, for example? So, yeah, well, how do we know? Well, we can have supervised supervised treatment only. How about that? Now, now what's your argument against it? Plus all the research behind us. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, Chris, you know, the opioid crisis, again, that, that's another group of studies, right? So it's one thing to study, you know, does this help with PTSD? But then separately, you'd have to research your opioid addicts, right? Under a separate category within addiction. Um, so that's kind of my, my winding response to your question. Well, thanks, Josh. Uh, certainly, you've given us a little bit uh, more to consider and think about here. Certainly a little bit more than uh, our time will allow. But perhaps we can maybe just shift the conversation and I'll throw it out to the both of you at this point. What are some challenges that we're looking at and uh, what are we facing here in the near term that could make or pose uh, some significant difficulties in perhaps progressing the psychedelic uh, agenda forward? I understand there's a lot of political involvement in this, but I'm going to throw it out to the both of you and um, would love to hear back uh, from the both of you and what you think about this. Yeah, James, you want to take the first call well, of that? Yeah, well, I think like like uh, you know Josh is saying, it, right, right now this is moving along a uh, along a you know a regulated medical pathway in in North America, and and uh, and the way that that the way that that works is is you know for any any you know indication that the that the drug that you want to potentially you know use the drug for it's it's got to get it's got to get studied and it's got to follow along you know an fda approval pathway where you're going to go through you know phases one through three um of 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 a, of a clinical trial you know paradigm and and that means it's it's going to take you know a, a couple of years it it there are some ways to 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 get to market a little bit um you know a little bit faster um, where you can essentially, uh, you know, once a drug's accepted, you can you can piggyback off of off of some of the some of the safety data. But but generally speaking, you know, this is why that drug development is like expensive and slow is because you have to prove that the drug works for the indication and that it, it's not going to have you know a, a you know widespread adverse effects on on the people taking it. So so it's a it's it. Now, I will say though that you are starting to see, you know, you, you know, in the in the USA, like even in the last few years, even in the Trump administration, the FDA was has has been was being, you know, pretty pretty decisive about moving to accept, uh, you know, psychedelic drugs. They gave expanded access to uh, to both the MDMA and the psilocybin trials, which is basically their tacit admission that the drugs work and that they want people to have access to it. You know, you see in the U.S., you, you know, you're seeing some decriminalization initiatives happen at like the local levels where, you know, in a number of different cities, 
they've passed uh, local governments have passed you know ordinances telling their police officers not to make it a not to arrest people essentially for you know for for owning psychedelic drugs Canada has created this expanded access program to let physicians uh, uh, you know have the ability to, to prescribe um, to get their patients who are suffering from you know terminal cancer access to psilocybin the state of Oregon has has gone gone kind of out from out from under the FDA to create their own program to 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 get people access to psilocybin. So so for sure that the space is is moving and moving I think even faster than than people thought it, it could you know uh, a, a few years ago. I think there is a legitimate concern though that you know um, that it could you know it could potentially move. Uh, too fast. The drugs are really strong, and and I, the one thing I worry about with some of these decriminalization initiatives is that, you know, the world might not be ready for, the world might be ready to to have people, you know, smoking a joint and and walking past clouds of of you know cannabis uh, in a downtown. I don't know if the world is is quite ready to have people tripping on mushrooms. <laughs> walking down the street because the drugs are strong and they also last for a long time, right? It's not a short trip. So, uh, sorry, that's a long-winded answer to your... So it's an extended holiday is what you're saying. It's not a short trip. It's a, it's an extended <laughs> well, it's still, holiday. Psilocybin is like a six to eight hour trip. Which I guess, of course, could bring us back to uh, the conversation of microdosing, which I think we're going to save for a future episode. But uh, I just want to ask you both in terms of this being legal in Canada, this being legal in the United States, how much further along is the U.S. government in making this a reality and how much further along is the Canadian government saying over the last 10 years? I'm, I'm curious to know as to which government is going to actually come to the forefront here and make this a reality, but uh, Josh or James, I'll put it out to the both of you. It's yeah, probably a better one for I, Josh. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I I know there's some things um, about the cannabis, fed, like the f sort of U.S. federal position on cannabis is a lot more complicated than we think it is. Um, you know, it has to do with treaties and 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 other things that that you know. I I don't know about James, but I just don't necessarily dive deep into. And my experience in Canada with the Canadian. Uh, licensed producer, um, they didn't. They didn't have a U.S. strategy or near-term U.S. strategy, so I didn't feel like I wanted to spend all sorts of time trying to understand it uh, in great detail. I don't know if uh, psilocybin or LSD, MDNA. I don't know if that fits in the same um, sort of, uh, um, um, let's say, international kind of bucket as cannabis as far as the US government decision making that we don't understand that well I don't know or, or if it's that or not um, well I, the, the, I mean the one thing I would say like I'm not an expert in cannabis at, at all but I think if you look at like the body language of the US government on psychedelics um, it's been pretty decisive. And I think that is in large part because, you know, the two things. One, a lot of the research around these drugs is happening at U.S. universities with like top U.S. You know, neuroscientists. And but two, more importantly, the U.S. Ha is, uh, you know, unfortunately has these twin, um, you know, 
really suffers from these twin evils of, you know, number one, they have a large veteran population and they've been in all these different conflicts over the last 20 years. So they've got a huge veteran population that suffers from post-traumatic stress. And it's, it's, you know, ground zero for the opiate crisis and, and they need, and in, you know, psychiatry generally, like a lot of pharma companies have retreated from it. There haven't been many innovations and, and, uh, you know, the U S desperately needs like the rest of the world, but especially needs new solutions to deal with these problems. And so I think, Again, I'm not really not all that familiar with with uh, with the state of regulation in cannabis, but what we do see in the U.S. market is like the U.S. government, federal government, moving decisively to to adopt psychedelic drugs on along a regulated FDA-approved pathway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I Chris, think maybe. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, Josh. I think one thing there was, um, I, I, I guess, the biggest difference being is the push for recreational cannabis had been so much greater than any sort of push that we could see for recreational psychedelics, let's say. So it seems to me that psychedelics versus cannabis seems to be uh, tremendously focused, at least from a, a public's point of view, on on science rather than uh, bring it back to recreational. Um, sorry, Josh, you, you had a point there. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that I'm, I uh, like I mentioned in my intro, I am focused on the European Union as a as a as a market. Uh, so that's an, another reason why I'm just not quite as familiar. But I can say, like what James said, um, th- you know, helpful to us and to the society in Europe. You have something similar going on where, you know, we are dealing in uh, right now Portugal and Germany uh, because we need these sort of home bases for the physical uh, progress that we need to make in developing an active pharmaceutical ingredient, which would be, imagine it's like, uh, you know, THC is approved. And if you can make a, a pure form in a licensed facility, so that's that's kind of what we're going after in, in Europe. So Portugal, through an affiliation with the University of Porto. Germany, we are working on um, a joint venture with a very um, well-known, Um, well-respected psychiatrist um, that has already made strides in this space, but he has the stamp of approval, go ahead, and funding from the German government for a study that he is launching. Um, So it's it's similar to what James said, which is, I mean, once you have government saying, okay, yes, we approve this research study, or even better, we will partially fund it. I mean, that's that's an incredible show of support and what might end up happening in the future, right? Um, so anyway, I'm just I just thought the reason why I was saying your name, Chris, is just I just wanted to, to sort of talk briefly about Europe as well, uh, in in similarity to the US or Canadian market. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It, it just seems to me that Europe's always always been cutting edge uh, compared to what we've done here. They always have been sort of uh, well ahead of us in, in things like this, uh, specifically, that's for sure. Uh, cannabis as well. Um, well, you know, really, I guess the big question is, is that, let's say for you, James, going forward over the next five years, maybe just give us an idea of... Um, just some of the things that you'd like to see happen and some of the things that are kind of, you know, really vital 
to have happen, you know, so that uh, we can continue this? The, the space has so much momentum and the data keeps coming out, you know, positively, right? So, so, so those two studies that I just, that I mentioned earlier, um, that's amazing. You know, that, that's the, this is the validation that, that I think, you know, a lot of groups have been, have been hoping for. There's, there's, you know, if you look up the, if you look at, if you look up, you know, psilocybin in the in the, the the clinical trial, you know, government data, U.S. government database. I think there's like there's something like uh, over a hundred different trials going on right now with with psilocybin. So, um, I, you know, I all all of this all of this is going to I think you know continue to move the space forward. So, in a in the first drug that's going to make it through FDA approval is going to be MDMA. That's probably going to be in, in 2023, um, early 2023, hopefully. Um, the next one, that's because it's, it's at phase, the phase three clinical trials, uh, psilocybin's at, in, a little slightly behind. It's at phase 2B. Um, so that hopefully should follow you know, a year or so you know, after that. Those will be you know, obviously, you know, the, the enormous uh, developments in the space. We all, there already is a drug that's being used, ketamine, um, which is definitionally not exactly a psychedelic, but it is a dissociative drug. Um, so it's, it's like a psychedelic drug and it's, it's used in the U.S. Uh, on a fairly wide scale. Um, so I, I just think, you know, as these, as these drugs make it through, you know, FDA approval, that's, that's really what we're, what, what the whole space is kind of, you know, aiming for. And for, for Mindset, uh, for our company, Mindset Pharma, um, you know, our, our, we're, we're in the business of designing next generation drugs. So drugs that deliver the same benefit as, as these classic drugs, but, um, but that are really optimized for, for working for the widest possible groups of people, potentially having more convenient durations, less toxic, even safer uh, drugs. So, you know, and, and that we'll enjoy full patent protection because all the classic drugs that we've been talking about, they're all in the public domain. Um, so we've got our own set of milestones and catalysts that we'll be hitting, but I think, you know, overall it's, it's FD, full FDA acceptance of psychedelic drugs. That's really going to be the key. And we seem to be making excellent progress towards that. I, I certainly haven't yeah. heard anything to the contrary. That, that means that, uh, we're, we're taking any steps backwards in this space, which is great. And, uh, Josh, how about, how about in your opinion? I mean, what's, what's, uh, what's holding us back here? Like, or what? More importantly, what, what do we see happening over the next five years to really sort of take us to that next level? Yeah, I, you know, I think that um, we, we have to continue pushing uh, and running proper studies so that the findings are, um, it, it, you know, are more validations as opposed to, um, you know, poking holes in the actual uh, development of psychedelics, for example, um, you know, run as solid and well thought out a study as possible so that the findings have the greatest impact on, um, you know, the sort of opening up of um, the use of these different psychedelic applications. So for me, if I read the findings of a study, I'm just hoping that it's a well-done study where the results are meaningful. 
because because you can you can poke holes in it. It's just not going to get you very far. You imagine you're the government, and you have someone buzzing in your ear about the you know the deficiencies of a particular study that took millions of dollars and two years, and it, you've got to throw it in the garbage. So uh, I'm hoping that you know the 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 road. So I, I can say it both ways, Chris. Potentially a delay is a not overly well-run study or group of studies. On the other hand, a catalyst will be well-thought-out, well-run studies where the findings are, are very meaningful. Um, so, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, we might even we might be involved in, in some of them as a partner. Um, you know, a compliment to James's company, um, you know, as far as company to company is, you know, for us, like in the cannabis space, if there's a legalization of, say, psilocybin, um, and then you'd have to follow the regulatory requirements of the facility and the specs and the, the you know, the, uh, the toxicity, et cetera, then that's kind of where we feed into. But the next generation is very interesting as well. And um, it's difficult to get into different markets. For example, right now, I told Chris, if you want to sell cannabis products into Canada, you cannot. So if Chris has some great development, or sorry, if James has a great development within his company in Canada, then he might say, hey, Josh, uh, let's talk about how we get this into the European Union through your company, which is why I told Chris, you know, this is this is great. His Investors Coliseum um, you know, great podcast, educating the public, trying to get a nice following, interesting conversations, but also you could help be helpful even just simply by connecting James and I, because uh, he didn't wear a name tag when he was picking up his kid from school saying, <laughs> you know, this is what I'm doing. You should come and talk to me and see if we can work together. So it's been, uh, it's been helpful as well. If for people like you, Chris, doing this is also going to help as a catalyst in this industry because it's so new well thanks for the kind words josh and yeah any chance that we can have um on here to actually be able to pair up uh, individuals that might be able to do something together down the road we're happy to do so so i can see that we're coming to the end of our segment but uh again big thanks to james landgave mindset pharma and to you josh kirstein of silo pharma and uh it's uh, it's been a great time having you both on and uh, getting your perspective on everything psychedelic and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing from you guys in the very near future. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having Thank us, Chris. So Thanks, Chris.